Today's scripture reading, it comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verses 1 through 6. And today's sermon title is Josiah Renews the Passover. Again, today's scripture reading, it comes from 2 Chronicles 35, verses 1 through 6. And today's sermon title is Josiah Renews the Passover. This is God's holy and inerrant word, starting in verse 1. Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in their service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites, who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions, as prescribed in the writings of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the division of the Levites by fathers' household. And slaughter the Passover lamb and consecrate yourselves and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. This is the word of the Lord. You're welcome, Pastor Nick, for that short passage you can read this morning. Well, um, thank you all for joining us for our service here at Renewal Mainline this morning. My name's Dan, uh, one of the full-time pastors on staff here. And I uh, can't believe we're already in the month of February and slowly inching towards the spring and, Lord willing, sunnier days. Hopefully you able to enjoy some sunshine yesterday. I believe the groundhog did not see its shadow on Friday, uh, if you catch the news. So if you like having fun with that, we can hope that spring is just a few short weeks away. Well, before we get into the message, I wanted to mention one quick thing. Um, every month on the second Sunday, which is next week, uh, we have our monthly communion service. And in case you're new to our church or just haven't been around very long, we just want to quickly explain and give you a heads up that on these Sundays, instead of having Sunday school or nursery for our kids, uh, we gather as the entire church uh, as we really see this as an opportunity to allow our children uh, to participate in these services and to see and learn in these early years uh, the importance of the sacrament. And so it's a great way for us to keep discipling them and train them in the ways of the Lord. I know that this was very beneficial for me when I was a kid uh, growing up in a Presbyterian church just to see that. And it was very meaningful when I was able to start participating. And so we do recognize that it has been and may continue to be a challenge for those of us with young kids, uh, especially of nursery age, where they may not be able to sit still. Uh, my wife and I totally relate to that as we're raising a two-year-old. So we're right with you, and that's fine. Uh, we don't want that to be a reason that you feel like you can't come and fully participate. So we want you to know that anytime during these services, uh, when you feel like you need to, you're welcome to bring your child to the lobby area in the back where we'll have a, a speaker set up so you can still have the audio uh, of everything going on right near you. So feel free to do that for your own peace of mind. And uh, as you may also feel like you want to look out for those sitting around you, that they'd be able to participate fully uh, as well. Okay. So on that note, this is what today's message where I will be talking about the importance and the power behind corporate worship uh, from our passage. So would you all bow your heads with me in prayer and uh, we'll get started. Our great God, we 
Thank you so much uh, that we can be here in this service to worship you and to hear from you. God, we thank you for being a God so willing to lead us, guide us, and walk with us. God, that you entered our world uh, as a God-man, Jesus Christ, to show us that you'll never leave us alone, uh, no matter what we face. But God, sometimes we do confess that we feel like we're alone and that you don't care or that we have to scream really loud or pray like we've never prayed before to get your attention. God, but that is not your character. God, you drew near to us. And you've already demonstrated your perfect love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God, I pray that if anyone here needs this reminder, uh, would you allow your words, your unfailing love in all of its sweetness to press upon our souls this day so that we can be deeply spiritually renewed. That's our humble prayer this morning. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jen's working on me here. All right. Good? All right, thanks. Thank you, brother. Well, the world we live in teaches us to be very individualistic. You know, teenagers, you probably hear this from your teacher. Whoa, okay. All right, we're good. All right. Your teachers, your instructors, your coaches, go and make a good life for yourselves. You know, seize every opportunity that you can and make it work. Make it happen. Make your dreams come true because there won't be too many people to help you along the way. And if you happen to meet some good people, make some meaningful relationships along the way, that's great, but that's not the main goal. What matters most is you, your well-being, your happiness. I remember during the pandemic, my wife and I watched this Korean drama called Startup. Uh, it's about all these young people in their 20s setting out to start their own businesses, setting these very, very lofty goals for themselves, living by the motto, very simple motto, follow your dream, follow your dream. And in the course of this series, you sense the difference between those who chose to pursue it alone versus those who grabbed a few friends along with them and worked on it together. You can learn a lot from a Korean drama and some catchy music along the way. But we must also be reminded from time to time that this is not how we're to approach church, our Christian lives, that nobody is called to be a lone ranger, especially living in a time where if you're fed up with people, you know, other so-called Christians, you have ways that you can connect with any church on this planet. You could have a worship experience without having to deal with other people and their mess, without having to volunteer for things, all of which, as we read the Bible, we should do as God's people. I wonder if you remember, as I do, watching church service from home during the pandemic. You know, as an introvert, you know, there's some of that that was fun and convenient, but I remember some weird moments turning off the YouTube on my TV every Sunday after the benediction. I'd be staring at my reflection on that blank screen on the TV, looking at myself in my pajamas, feeling like this is weird. This is so empty. Something big was missing. And the reason for this is that we are created by God for corporate worship, for community, that our experience of God is not complete outside of gathering with God's people, that it's so much more than just convenience, what we get out of it, what's easy. As a lot of us, if we're honest, 
post-COVID, that's probably what we've slid into. God has so much more that he wants to offer us so that we would more fully experience his presence and also so that we can edify one another. All wonderful, wonderful gifts to us. So keeping all this in mind, we're continuing in our series through the Old Testament narratives on King Josiah, and it's been a wonderful series. I know that I've benefited so much learning what it looks like and what happens when we seek after God with all our hearts, when we get rid of the idols, the besetting sins, and we bring others along with us. In today's passage, Josiah continues his very influential spiritual reform of Judah, the southern kingdom. And it's actually quite simple as we read this short passage, what exactly he does. So he's just gotten done reading the words of the law to the people. He made a covenant so that he would keep the commandments with all his soul and got rid of all the remaining idols. And here at the beginning of chapter 35, he leads his people in observing the Passover. And the author continues to emphasize that Josiah wanted to do everything right, faithfully obey the commands of the law, literally by the book, so that he gets it right. What does he do? We see in the rest of the passage, verses 2 through 6, he appoints priests, Levites, to perform their duties with very, very specific details, and that they were not to deviate from the things that were prescribed and commanded by God. So let me pause here. As we've been hearing this a lot week after week, and been addressing this a lot, how are we doing in this area? How seriously are we allowing the Word of God to instruct us in everything, everything we do. When I was growing up as a teen, someone once told me that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. There was this catchy song by Burlap the Cashmere, this Christian band from a long time ago, where they drove that point. But of course, today I believe it's so much more than that. But for that season of my spiritual growth, I needed to learn that what is written in the Word was there to instruct and guide me in everything. I needed the Bible to guide me in relationships, how I relate to my friends okay, with love, with humility, with grace, how I approach school life, that I'm not to idolize it, but offer everything to wor as worship to God. Also, in my own involvement in youth group growing up, I always looked at youth group as a place to just show up, have fun, you know, play some sports, eat good food, take trips to the mall and the beach, which all we pretty much had to do in the mid-90s as teenagers. But I needed the Bible to show me and teach me that I have to serve. I have to get busy. I have to encourage those around me. So I remember in seventh grade, I remember approaching an older brother, a few years older than me. Hey, can you teach me the drums? Can you teach me the guitar so I can join the praise team? And I ended up serving in that way for many years and eventually got discipled under that brother's care. That was God's design for me. And I needed his instruction so that I would not deviate from that and that I would live up to my full spiritual potential, which I'm still a work in progress, and I'm growing in. And so that's exactly what King Josiah wanted. And the main thing on his heart being there to follow God's instructions was corporate worship. And as we read this, we're reminded of the good gifts we're given in worship. So let's learn about two of these gifts, two lessons of what we can gain, and we can apply this to how we approach our church gatherings here at Renewal. 
Number one, in worship, God points us to the amazing gift of his sacrifice. And number two, God grants us the gift of consecration, being set apart for worship and service. In other words, he gives us his holiness. So he points us to his amazing sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, the purpose of observing the Passover was to remember that one of the greatest events in Israel's history was God's divine, miraculous deliverance of them from Egypt, where they were held in slavery for many, many years. So this is a familiar story that doesn't need too much review, but just as each of the Egyptian firstborns were dying, which is God's judgment on Pharaoh for his hardened heart and continuing to refuse to let his people go, the angel passes over any of the homes where the doorframe was marked by blood, which people automatically saw as an act of sacrifice. The killing of an animal and its blood was necessary. But it was an incredible act of mercy for a people that God loved dearly and that experienced that. They themselves didn't need to die. An animal was killed instead. So there was something very incredibly meaningful there, meaningful there, something they needed to thank God for. And so the Israelites were called to commemorate the Passover on the 14th day of the first month every year, never forgetting that he is the Lord their God who delivered them. And you can imagine for them where this is fresh in their minds, just the memory of it, even just a couple of generations removed, that this was a very, very big deal. You know, we as a people find it very natural and fitting to remember things, to commemorate things and celebrate things in this way. Let's say once upon a time something incredible happened to you. I know that for a lot of us, you know, this doesn't happen very often where life is about just, let's just get through the week, you know, make sure we don't mess up at work, that our loved ones have enough food and they don't get sick or hurt. But maybe in the midst of that routine out of nowhere, someone does something wonderful for you, an incredible gift. You're granted a promotion out of nowhere at work. You got a good health report when you were nervous about receiving that. Great news that you would want to celebrate and commemorate. Some of you students, the day you get that acceptance letter into college or that graduate program, that's a very, very big deal. You'll remember that forever. Wedding anniversaries, I will never forget November 21st. The day I said, we both said, I do to one another. And our lives forever change for good, for the better. <laughs> but how about something like the day your life was spared from something? Something incredible, like someone pushes you out of the way of oncoming traffic. Instead, they got hurt. Or you did, you messed up at school or work, but someone else took the fall for you and kept you from getting seriously reprimanded or other serious consequences. That's something you'll definitely make the effort to remember as much as you can. Something meaningful about knowing that someone has sacrificed for you, expressing love, care, and it sparks such gratitude in your heart. And that's what the heart of worship is all about, the worship of God. That every time we fall into sin, every time we feel the weight of the shame and guilt where you cannot believe you messed up again. Come on, it's like I've been making such progress. My spiritual life was 
cruising along. It seemed like I had finally overcome some of these things, these vices that I had grown to hate and despise. How could I be at the altar repenting for this again and again? We've all been there from the sins that we fall into publicly and privately. We know the pain of realizing that we're weak and unable to help ourselves. But if you're a Christian here today, you know the freeing feeling of when you realize for the first time that God does not hold those sins against you in Jesus. Even if it's for the hundredth time that he is infinitely patient with us, does not roll his eyes, does not make us grovel and pay for every transgression. That the weight of all that we've committed has been taken off of our shoulders, laid upon him, as we sang earlier today, laid upon him who hung on the cross so that our debt has been paid. It's been paid in full. Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain for sinners to deliver us and set us free once and for all. And so just as these Israelites, King Josiah made a big deal out of this as he read this. Every year commemorated this deliverance and freedom from slavery by observing the Passover meal. That's just a foreshadow of what we as New Testament believers commemorate, which is something far greater, even more powerful, which is a sacrifice of Christ, not some animal, but Christ who shed his precious blood and who burst forth from the grave that first Easter morning. Josiah reads this in front of everybody, and he expresses, there is no way we are ever going to neglect this. Commemorating and renewing what God had done for us so amazingly and miraculously. This is of utmost importance. And we're not going to move forward worshiping our God without it. And so church, anytime we gather, we can learn from this. We're to remind each other, exhort each other, point each other to the greatest miracle of our lives. What Christ has done for us, that is what our fellowship should be based on, should be built on. No matter what the occasion, no matter what kind of gathering, we would do well to enter into each other's lives. Whatever struggles and burdens people are carrying, even the joys we share, to say our greatest joy and freedom is in Christ and what he has gave up for us on our behalf. And secondly, in worship, God grants us the gift of consecration, being set apart for worship and service. In these few verses, uh, we read about all that Josiah uh, had everyone involved in the Passover do for their preparation. This included the priests, who made intercession for the people with their prayers and sacrifices. And the Levites, in verse 3, as we read that they were teachers. They taught all Israel and were holy to the Lord. Emphasis there. So he appointed the priests to serve in their offices, in their service of the house of the Lord, coming out, uh, as so many of us do, to church to prepare and uh, get the service ready. And in verse 4, The Levites were to prepare themselves as prescribed by David's writings and Solomon's documents. 
to guide them. He had them stand in the holy place according to their father's households. Very detailed, very systematic, very organized. Because it was a big deal. And finally in verse 6, once all that was squared away, now slaughter the lamb. Right? All the households. And let's bring that together. Consecrate yourselves. And prepare for your brothers because this is all done together. But this was such an incredible burden. As we, anytime we read the Old Testament, it's like, wow, they had to do all these things. They had to go through all these hoops in order to just feel like they were pleasing to God and have a worship service or a festival or a celebration that was acceptable to God. Imagine if that was our requirement, you know, before we came to church for service. Some of us who serve and lead or just come to participate, hey, you got to do all these things, clean yourself up, make sure that... Your, your household, your life, your mind, your thoughts, your heart, all the idols are gone. Make yourself holy. Then you can come. And here's where I want to point us to something greater, the greater context that we read the story in. In this story, we have King Josiah, one who sought after God and did all he could to make sure that things were done well. But how far and long would his efforts last. Sad to say, if you read further, all the kings that followed him didn't do too well. Would do evil and pretty much unravel and undo all that Josiah had reformed. And here's where we need to find a greater hope. So Josiah, as a human king, living in a time when the king had so much spiritual influence on the people, whatever the king did, the people did. If the king did evil in the eyes of God, Followed the gods, other gods of the nations, and so did the people. If the king did what was right in the eyes of God, by humbling himself, repenting of his sin, getting rid of the false gods, then the people followed in his ways and sought the Lord just as he did. And, but what the king was asking the people was all well meant, as that is what the law required. But we all know that what it pointed to was to show those reading and those observing that we are helpless in this. That the law is a burden without a deliverer, without someone to fulfill it. The law points us to our need for a savior because our hope could not be in a human king. Because they would all be fallible no matter how much good they did. And we can never put our hope in how well we could consecrate ourselves. Try to be holy. We can pray, we can fast, go cold turkey with our bad sins, bad habits. Maybe it'll work for a season. Maybe for one Passover meal, we can work that out. We can manage to stand in the holy place with a clear conscience, maybe for a few minutes. But the sad reality is, that's it on our human strength. But in Jesus, we have the true and better David, the true and better Solomon, the true and better Josiah. The one who also urges us, we who are all priests, we believe that, the priesthood of believers, where we're all called you know, to read and interpret and apply scripture. We're called to intercede for one another. This king calls us to consecrate ourselves, to give our hearts of purity, to worship God, and serve his people 
to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But this king who knew very well that we needed help. We needed something beyond ourselves to have hope to fulfill that. He reaches down to you and me in love. And he speaks to us saying, I gave my life and shed my blood so that you could be made new today. And now you are clothed in a righteousness, not one that you build with trying to do the best you can, but one that is perfect and unfailing. This is your cloak. Wear it in faith. Wear it with humility and joy. And as you do that, you experience the depth of the freedom, the chains coming off of your heart, the vices and the grip and the clutches of sin being loosened. And we go, we consecrate ourselves for worship in thanksgiving. You may be struggling with your faith here today or not call yourself a Christian. And we're so thankful you're here to join us for our service. But we wanted you to hear today why the church, the corporate gathering of Christ, is such a blessing. It's such a gift. That as you get to know God, and we hope you do uh, through our ministry, through our wonderful communities, but that you'll also hear the wonderful, powerful gospel message that changed our lives, the reason why we're here, that has enabled us, even as scattered, imperfect people, just trying to do our best, and over and over again, feeling our limitations of being the church that we want to be, that the gospel is what propels us, it sustains us, it upholds us. So even as you get to know us as a church, far more importantly, that you would get to know Jesus who invites you in all your imperfections and grow in your faith, grow in your knowledge and love for him, and grow as members of God's body, his church. I want to close with this quote that I uh, put in my weekly email a little over a couple months ago by uh, Glenna Marshall, speaking on the importance of Sunday worship. It was very touching. It reminded me of why we really, really need the body of Christ in our lives. She writes this, I yearn for Sundays. I need the reminders that I am not alone in this Christian life. I need to know that I'm not the only one who has doubts, who struggles with fear, and who wonders if she'll ever get it right. I need my congregation to pray for me when I'm weak. I need to hear the singing voices of the ones who are holding on to the anchor of Jesus in the midst of their personal storms, for I will remember their voices when I am suffering. I need to know what's going on in the lives of my church family so I can serve and pray for them. I need the truth of the gospel to wash over me while I do nothing other than sit in a sanctuary chair and receive it. I need to hold the cup and the bread and say with a room full of people who have staked their eternity with me on Jesus Christ, I believe.
And this is why I cry every single Sunday. Because the gathering of the church on Sundays pushes me one more step down the road of faithfulness towards the day when we see Jesus face to face. My dear friends, our prayer is that we would all see the church in this way. That here at Renewal, that every time we gather, we're pointing to the amazing gift of Christ's precious sacrifice for us. And to once again realize that Jesus, he's actively at work in our midst, in our hearts, consecrating us, granting us the gift of his righteousness. And from there, we can reach out to one another in this powerful gathering down the road of faithfulness until that day he returns when our faith becomes sight. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? In just a few quiet moments before your God, let's examine ourselves. Let's search our hearts. How are we living our lives with, relative to how we approach church? What's on our minds and hearts when we come to these corporate gatherings to worship, to sing, to hear his word, what do we expect? How big is our view of the God who invites us week after week? Who allows us only by grace to be in his very holy presence? And how has that affected your life? Church, let me remind us that this is a very sacred hour. A very, very sacred hour where we get to interact with fellow redeemed saints. We were all once on a dark path. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's brought us over from death to life into his eternal kingdom. May we never lose the wonder of his mercy, his sacrifice. It drove Josiah to renew the Passover, to observe it faithfully. It broke his heart that had been neglected. And I wonder for some of us as we think about what Jesus has done for us, the amazing miracle of our own resurrection, our own spiritual renewal, what goes on inside of our hearts and minds as a worship service starts, as we engage with God through worship, through the word, and with prayer. And this is just a loving reminder, my friends, that's all by his amazing grace that we're here. He never turns us away. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is for us. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And in that truth, out of an overflow 
of gratitude and praise, we say, hallelujah. God be praised. We lift you up. Let's reflect on that for a minute as we close this time. Perhaps you feel unworthy before God. And when you read a passage like this, where such a big deal is made of cleansing yourself, consecrating yourself, as Josiah had the priests and the Levites do, it's like, man, how, how do I do that? We're reminded, um, as gospel-believing Christians, that that power doesn't come from us. We are just mere jars of clay. But from the spirit of him, Jesus Christ risen from the grave, who indwells us, loves us, and leads us, who has clothed us in a righteousness not our own. He makes us holy. He sees us in him, and he is well pleased. Maybe some of you in here need to hear that today and be reminded of the unfailing love of God for you. Maybe you felt a little down on yourself because maybe you have a little bit of a stained track record in recent weeks, would you look to your Savior who showers you with his grace? And all he says is, come to me in faith. Receive the gift of being set apart for him so that you can worship, you can serve with a clear conscience by the work of God deeply, deeply in your soul. Receive that in faith and glorify him. For another moment, let's reflect on that and give thanks to him. Our faithful, loving God, we, uh, <clears throat> we're here today as your people, a people that you have called out of darkness into your glorious light, a people you've gathered for yourself as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart for you, something that we could never do for ourselves, but Lord, that you gave your life you gave your life so that we can truly be your people and you can be our God. Lord, you will never break that covenant until your kingdom comes. And so I pray, that Lord, in, in our, all of our efforts to really be a church, to come and, uh, to these services week after week and really wanting to connect with you, to learn, to be fed, Lord, that we would really surrender ourselves and just really receive all that you have for us with hearts wide open, faith in a great big God who is bigger than all of our failings. And no matter how far we wander, uh, that your grace extends to us and draws us back to you. So Lord, we recognize and confess we have a long ways to go, God, a lot ahead of us this year. We just surrender to you, Lord. Be our head. Be the chief cornerstone. Strengthen us, God. Strengthen us to serve. Strengthen us to build each other up. May we lift up your name. Reach out to one another in love, and may you be glorified as you dwell in our midst. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your sacrifice, and thank you for your ongoing work in perfecting us in your image. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite us to rise, and uh, we'll close.